going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Greetings and salutations, friends. A very happy Tuesday. I look outside and go, hey, who ordered this stuff? Supposed to be better by the uh, the end or nearing the end of the week. So put up with this for a couple of days. I, I from what I've heard, it'd be nice if we got a little bit of rain. Like we we had a lot of snow and that, but it didn't amount to a lot precipitation wise. And so a lot of people going, hey, it'd be nice if we can green up the yards a little bit. So come on, rain. Now's the time to shine. All right, on today's program, uh, let's start things off first and foremost. Hey, the, I, I was lucky enough to be the host this morning for uh, the Great Cup 2019 Pancake Breakfast and Ticket Kickoff. Those tickets are now available uh, to the general public. We had a couple of hours there where uh, Stamps fans could line up and get in on some pancake breakfast and buy themselves some tickets, uh, some great speakers on hand. And, of course, I got to yell into a microphone for a little bit and had a little bit of fun. Uh, Funny that that should all come about the same day as study shows total 2018 Grey Cup economic impact exceeded $81 $81 million. And by all accounts, a lot of people hoping that the 2019 edition eclipses that and then some. A lot of excitement in the air. Experience the energy as they're uh, calling it this time around. They're hoping that we can maybe eclipse, I don't know, $90 million. I think it's going to be a giant party is what it's going to amount to. And certainly a lot of fun had. Uh, great to chat with a few listeners as well. They stopped by and said hi and wanted to put a face to the name. And then they realized quickly that Joe's got a face for radio. All right. Now, on to today's show. We're going to go all over the map today. It's, it really is one of those all-encompassing kinds of shows. We're going to start off talking cryptocurrency. It's going to be a topic up for discussion amongst a number of different academics here in Calgary. But Dr. Alfred Lehar, who has been a guest actually back in October, we chatted with him about sort of the basics around crypto. But in the last six months or so, the dynamics have changed. Things have leveled off a little bit. Some certainty has surrounded the market. So what exactly should we be expecting going forward? Dr. Lahar is going to join us in just a few minutes. On-demand transit for new communities. This is something where you see a new community developed and then you don't necessarily see a bus or even really a, a train come into that new neighborhood. So what is that stopgap? Councillor Jody Gondek is going to join us after four o'clock to talk about this new idea that is being brought in to a couple of North End communities to bridge that gap. But what else could we see out of that? We'll find out more from the councillor after four o'clock. Uh, Dr. Rohan Basundas is going to join us after 4.30. After five o'clock, David Aiken is going to join us from Global News, our political correspondent, to talk about yesterday's by-election victory for the Greens. Yes, it's B.C., but does that speak to a much bigger issue at hand when it comes to the actual support for Justin Trudeau and the Liberals? And could this be a blessing in disguise for the federal conservatives? Possible vote split? The NDP also uh, heavily implicated in this and that they are becoming more and more irrelevant by the looks of things. So we'll chat with David about that. I'm also hoping to get his response to the idea of how does Alberta get some sort of teammate out of all of this come 
the end of the fall. Should we, even in the process heading in, depend, it doesn't even matter who ends up winning that federal election. So we'll talk to David about that. And food trucks in Calgary getting ready to start their engines. And today started off with an inspection blitz. We'll chat with one uh, such food truck owner. You're listening to Calgary Today on 770-CHQR. Talking cryptocurrency next. All right, it's being called a policy in a pint series. A bunch of speakers from Alberta Securities Commission, the Haskane School of Business, blockchain, a lot of different speakers going to be chatting uh, at Junction YYC in downtown Calgary uh, later on today. All about regulating crypto. Cryptocurrency, of course. It's been the talk of the town over the last year or so. Digital currency created by computer programs traded in this online craziness subject to little if any regulation hard for a lot of people to understand at the at the bare basics here joining us now i guess that we had back on back in october is uh associate professor at the haskane school of business at the university of calgary dr alfred lahar uh, dr lahar thanks so much for joining us this afternoon Thank you very much for having me. It's a great pleasure to be on your show. Talk a little bit about, I mean, six months ago, we talked about cryptocurrency and what's happening. And it seems as though it's one of those marketplaces that is almost changing by the day. So what should normal everyday people be making of uh, the most recent news when it comes to cryptocurrency and, and where the trend is going? Well, um, we saw that the, the cryptocurrencies have dropped a lot since we talked last time, and I think kind of the price stabilized. And it's probably not the hype, I would say, is over. It's not that spectacular anymore as it used to be at some point in time. But I think cryptocurrencies are here to stay, and eventually this technology uh, will find its way to reasonable use. One other thing we can learn from the recent events around Quadriga is that investors have to be very careful when investing in these type of crypto assets and make sure that they keep the coins in their own private wallets and under their control and not under the control of some exchange. Is that one of the challenges whenever you're entering a new marketplace? I mean, we saw the same kind of thing happen with the cannabis industry here in Canada. Everything kind of went crazy when the legalization happened, and then things kind of calmed down a little bit. So is this a lesson we should all be taking in is, hey, you know, make sure you moderate your expectations a little bit and, and expect that the longer we go on, the more things are going to be less ebb and flow. I think that is uh, a good lesson to be learned. And we also saw that in the dot-com bubble in 2000, when everybody thought, oh, God, the Internet is going to revolutionize everything we do. And all the stocks went crazy and um, companies that had no profits were trading at a valuation of billions of dollars. And in the end, the hype went away. A lot of the stocks crashed and but we still saw that the internet changed a lot of the things we do since then mm -hmm. and had a profound impact on the way we work and businesses uh, do their business. So I think um, this is a more general lesson and whenever there is a new technology or something big happens in the market that it's very hard to figure out how big will that impact actually be and, and uh, people tend to... Um, 
just jump on the bandwagon and that might move prices uh, a little bit too high uh, at some points in time. And this is not the first time we've seen this, and I think it will not be the last time. So from that standpoint, then, moving forward, what should we be keeping in mind as we watch? And not just bankers, but, I mean, regulators. You look at governments, they're all trying to kind of piece together how uh, either they can get their own slice of the pie or beyond that is try to integrate uh, the cryptocurrencies into their own line of work. I think um, a lot of the action where we see this kind of technology uh, creating real economic values, probably in the in the back behind the scenes area where it comes about accounting and uh, logistics and uh, making the way business ship things to each other more efficient. There will be real economic savings and a big economic impact of this new technology. This is not something that the ordinary person would would probably get exposed to, as this is mostly behind the scenes. But I think governments are trying to to regulate those crypto assets, uh, but they're not too sure yet how to do that perfectly, mm-hmm. and they're doing an honest attempt to try to do the best for the for the people. I would assume and uh but this is not very obvious how to do that and because a lot of the companies operate in some foreign jurisdictions you can buy bitcoin over the internet from an exchange that sits somewhere in the bahamas or some other place and um canadian authorities don't have any say in those jurisdictions Mm -hmm. is it one of those things where it, it, it still remains that buyer beware side of the business because there is no regulation behind it because it is so international and world marketly that everybody is kind of game to try different things but at the same time you become a little bit more risk averse. I think it's definitely be buyer aware and and you have to do your research you have to understand how this market works, how the technology works and what the risks are Uh, any investor should should know this before entering this market and be careful uh, and and follow the recommendations that are out there on many sites. I think we will see a trend towards these companies trying to actively seek regulation or following some kind of self-regulation where for an, if you are running an honest exchange, it's also not good for you that there is this unease in the market and people don't know does this work or not, is this an honest exchange or not. So I think some of the honest exchanges will seek regulatory approval or regulation just as a signal to the market and saying, hey, we are audited by the government of Canada and and uh, we are legit business, and so you're safe to do your bring your business to us. And I think that could actually be a selling point for some of those exchanges. 
um, that want to go down this route. And I think we'll see some of that happening going forward. You bring up a really interesting point is that there's that legitimacy aspect of it. And I know a lot of people uh, took almost the buyer beware uh, attitude as if, hey, I'm not going to do this because I know that it's it's still there's still so many things that are up in the air or they dabbled, but they didn't go all in because they don't know what's going to happen from day to day. Is it better for government or better for regulators or better for the companies to try to gain some sort of notoriety and work together with each other? Or is there is there some um, movement afoot that maybe, hey, all the companies need to be working apart from each other just because then they can set themselves apart? I think there's a lot of benefit in working together with regulators here. I think regulators are also at the moment trying to see how we can we fit the existing regulation uh, in this new world of cryptocurrencies. And, and from a legal perspective, you cannot treat them all that differently because you have to have some kind of fairness. Why should we treat those businesses totally different than stock exchanges? On the other hand, I think that if the government would come in too harsh, then you would just drive... Um, those exchanges out of business and this would be bad for Canada because we want the innovation here in the country. We want companies to innovate and come up, experiment with these new technologies. On the other hand, we also want to protect investors. So it's a fine line to, to, to walk for any regulator to not make the regulation too burdensome and too costly but on the other hand, provide some kind of protection. And I think some kind of voluntary cooperation between um, exchanges and the government is here a very good way to go. Fascinating discussion on cryptocurrency. And I've got a couple more questions for you, Dr. Lahar. So stay on the line. Alfred Lahar, the Associate Professor, Faculty of Finance at the Haskane School of Business. It's amazing how quickly new communities pop up all around, especially Stony Trail. When you think about it, my regular drive in, sometimes I end up going down that Center Street, uh, 8th Street, whatever you call it, between Airdrie and Calgary, and you end up at Harvest Hills, and then you can take Stony around. Over the last little while, there's been a bit of a detour to go through the new community of Livingston. Now, those in those neighborhoods... They don't have bus service yet. So what do you do to try to bridge that gap between the time that a community is built and the time that transit is ready to roll out new routes? A couple of city councilors back in November proposed this pilot project to offer on-demand transit for Carrington and Livingston to the North Point Transit Hub and its amenities. Now, the service is actually going to start May 24th. For those who want to Get a bird's eye view on how this is all going down. There's going to be an open house on May 15th at Vivo on Country Village Link in the Northeast. Joining us now is one of those two counselors who brought the motion ahead and is seeing this to fruition now. And that is Ward 3's Jody Gondek. Counselor, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Thanks so much for having me on. Take me back to November when you first came forward with Counselor Keating and said, this is an idea worth looking into. What was the notion? What was the, the dream and the vision for this idea? 
Well, the dream and the vision really has been driven by residents and uh, the folks that have said, listen, we understand we're living in a new community, it's on the periphery, and we may not be able to have dedicated bus service right away, but what can you do so that we can actually actively engage with public transit? So it came from the people, frankly, and um, I'm really proud of our Transportation and Transit Department for creating this type of a solution to get people that last mile, so to speak. Obviously, over the last few months, there's been some refinement to the point now where where next week there's going to be that first open house where people can actually check it out. What are people, what should people be expecting as they go through and take a look at what's being proposed here? I think people are going to find it quite interesting because it's a way to... Um, ensure that you can get from the communities of Livingston and Carrington, which are theoretically very close to the North Point Station, but you have to drive. It would be, you know, counterproductive to walk all the way there and then take transit. It would probably double or triple the amount of time that you would be on your commute. So this will allow people to get to transit service that already exists without the city having to guess as to when the bus route should be put on with this type of a program. We're going to be able to um, create more of a predictive bus pattern when we do launch full transit service. So I think people are going to be interested to see what type of vehicle they can expect showing up at their door. I think it's going to be interesting for them to understand how they'll make payment. I just think they're going to be pretty excited to take part in this pilot. Especially in the new communities, as people are trying to go, hey, how do I get myself to something more accessible? This provides them an option without uh, going to a taxi service or to an Uber or something along those lines, they've got that connector there for when eventually down the road uh, you actually have full-scale transit in there, be it buses or uh, even in some cases they may have a train right next door before too long. Oh boy, I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the point really is we've demonstrated really good access um, to transit up in Ward 3 and uh, the folks in Ward 3 have definitely committed to using that service. So if we can do this in the newer parts of Ward 3 and build those habits, I think we'll just carry on with the legacy that we have of being solid transit users. Does this open up a door down the line to put it into potentially uh, established communities that are closer to the core? Or do you foresee this being only as a bit of a stopgap for transit as they start to try to figure out what to do in the new communities? I mean, right now, this is intended to be that stopgap or last mile measure because we've already got really good service and we've had, you know, years of understanding people's behavior and patterns in the established areas. So it's not intended to go there anytime soon. But, you know, the other thing we have to understand is that the face of of travel and transit and transportation is rapidly changing with technology. And this is yet another tool that we can use whenever and wherever we may need to. What kinds of questions do you hope to get answered through the process as they go, as you guys go through the, the pilot? I really hope that our residents who use the pilot will give us their feedback in terms of were things what you expected them to be? Did your ride show up on time? Was it easy to use the app? Do you find that this gives you the ability to not have to take your vehicle over to North Point Station? How has this made your life easier? I hope they'll be able to weigh in on those things and allow us to do the best job we can in providing this service. From a cost perspective, what are we looking at, or do you think that a lot of the costs will be paid for through the fares that are charged? 
Well, the goal right now is to make sure that it's something that is affordable and it's something that's going to get people engaged. So I'm not sure how it works out in terms of full cost recovery, but the good thing is this is a lesser cost than taking a guess on when to put a bus on that route. So, you know, we're trying to make sure that people engage with it. The fares are going to be the regular Calgary Transit fares, and you're going to have the ability to um, to also get a transfer. So we're trying to deliver it in exactly the same way that you would catch a bus. And I think what's going to happen through the pilot is we're going to gauge what the cost of service is and see if there's any pricing adjustment that needs to be made over time. Is this one of those situations where it allows you to keep an open eye on different possibilities and kind of uh, you're thinking outside the box and so there there gives that opportunity to maybe learn some things and maybe integrate them into uh, whether it be future developments or or that kind of thing and, and maybe learn a few things along the way as well? Absolutely. I know that the administration team is very interested in understanding how this rolls out in Calgary, but they've also been very well immersed in how it's functioned in other jurisdictions. So not only have they done the competitive research to see what we should watch out for, but they also know what type of success variables they're going to want to measure. So absolutely, it's an iterative process and we're looking to learn from it as much as we can. And as you mentioned, uh, that there's this opportunity as well to kind of understand consumer reaction to things uh, that are new as well because uh, as the times change it's all about attention and so if people can uh, put their attention on something else while they're getting a ride instead of having to wait on an Uber or whatever the case may be uh, you might be able to benefit off of it a little bit too. Yeah, I mean, we're just hoping that we can make this as seamless as possible for people that they don't think that they're accessing two different types of service. It's just um, a different way of offering transit service. And options is a big part of it, right? Exactly. Councillor, I do appreciate the time this afternoon. Thanks so much. Thank you. Take care. Ward 3 Councillor Jody Gondek joining us on the program to talk on-demand Calgary Transit. Again, for Carrington and Livingston, a couple of brand new communities on the north side of Stony Trail on the north end of the city. The new service will start May 24th. The public open house planned for May 15th. To learn more, you can go to uh, calgarytransit.com and it's one of the top stories on their site. A bit of a surprise when it comes to federal politics yesterday, a little by-election in Nanaimo, Lady Smith, Green Party candidate Paul Manley voted in. Who saw that one coming? In BC of all places. You thought, okay, maybe the NDP, if people are really upset with the governing liberals, if you head on over to globalnews.ca, chief political correspondent David Aiken has uh, po- posted a little analysis of Canada's Greens continuing to win over voters, feeling betrayed by ang- and angry at Justin Trudeau. David joins us now on the program. Hello there. Yeah, happy to. No problem. Let's talk about yesterday's results first and foremost. Did they surprise you in any way? I guess they did in the sense that it was a very convincing win by the Greens. It wasn't even close. Um, and the NDP had just an awful day. The the riding of Nanaimo Ladysmith, the city of Nanaimo in BC, that's been an NDP stronghold, you know, just about forever. Um, and they finished third uh, with 21% of the vote and change. And uh, of course, they were the incumbent party. So they had a terrible day. The Greens had a terrific day. Um, 2015, they only got 20% of the vote. And here they were close to, uh, you know, above 
40. Uh, so that that was a bit surprising how strong the greens were. You know, the greens have often talked a good game. You know, oh, people love the greens and everybody loves the greens. And, and I know pollsters who say people will tell you they're voting green, but on election day, the greens have always had trouble getting the vote out, delivering on their promise. Not yesterday. They, 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 they walk the walk and talk the talk and all that. And I think that says something to the other parties, that this is going to be a new factor as we look forward to the general election this fall. That becomes the real question mark, I think, in all of this. And is there a sense within B.C. as a whole that maybe there's enough discontent with the Liberal Party that they they want to get away from that, but at the same time, they don't want to go to the Conservative side, so the Green is almost looked as maybe the last option for them? I don't think it's just in B.C. I think that what uh, the Trudeau Liberals have to confront is um, a feeling of anger and betrayal among progressive voters across the country. And the latest evidence of that was just the, the B.C. vote. But I think uh, there are Trudeau liberal aligned parties in Ontario, in uh, Prince Edward Island. And uh, certainly those liberal parties have lost some vote share to the Greens. And so, so what we have is a progressive voter who's not just interested in climate change, I should point out, but also say electoral reform or pay equity, uh, um, social housing, uh, or just doing a different way of politics. And I think a lot of those voters took a look at the Trudeau Liberals on all those things, and then they saw the grubbiness of this whole SNC-Lavalin backscratching Jody Wilson-Raybould, and they're disgusted, and they're looking for a home. Now, normally that home would be the NDP. Mm. They're where, you know, angry progressive voters go. But NDP leader Jagmeet Singh, for whatever reason, is just not getting any traction. There have been 13 by-elections since Jagmeet Singh took over as leader of the party. And the NDP has lost vote share in every single one, except for the one that Singh won in Burnaby South. So they are they're broke, uh, they're leaking support, and they're not doing well at all in any electoral event that they've had a chance to go at. And the Greens are showing some momentum. I mean, I'll take even a little thing like, I mean, this is how much geeky I am looking at results, <laughs> is uh, there was a by-election in Outremont, Montreal. It was right. Tom Mulcair's old riding, NDP incumbent. And the NDP loses to the Liberals. That's fine. The Liberals used to hold it all the time. But you know who did really well was the Green vote in Montreal. And again, I take that as people who used to vote Liberal said, I just can't do it, but I'm not voting for Jagmeet Singh, and I'm not a separatist. And they went and parked their vote or not park their vote, cast their vote with the Greens. So I think the Greens do have some momentum, and uh, and I think that the progressive side of the spectrum is where the action is, and the Conservatives love it. Um, the Conservatives were worried about vote splits from uh, Maxime Bernier's party, the People's mm -hmm. Party of Canada. Um, they did run a candidate in Nanaimo yesterday, but that candidate got just 3%, and the Conservative vote share actually went up a bit. So. I think the Conservatives feel this is just dandy for them to see all this turmoil uh, over there on the left side of the spectrum. Do you get the feeling at all, David, that there's a movement towards maybe the possibility of the NDP being almost the Green Party from the last election, where there's one MP standing up for the party and it might be the leader, might not be the leader, depending on how things shape up uh, this fall? The, the NDP right now are not showing any of that. You shouldn't have any confidence that they're even going to hold party status at this point. If they are losing ridings in B.C., particularly stronghold ridings in B.C., like Nanaimo Ladysmith, uh, that spells trouble. Their other big chunk of seats right now, one quarter of their 40-odd seats, are from Quebec. 
and the poll numbers in Quebec are terrible. They're even worse. They could be wiped out completely in Quebec. And if they're a threat now in B.C., gosh, they could be down to, you know, party status, I think, uh, 11, 12 seats in the House of Commons. They could be below that. And if the Greens, by you know, it's not, it's not crazy to think of the Greens winning... 12, maybe 15, depending on vote splits. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I can think of maybe six off the top of my head. Don't ask me where the other nine might be. But um, but then, you know, Elizabeth May's sort of big dream, and she was talking about this today, is that in a minority parliament after the fall, and that's quite possible, mm -hmm. we see a minority parliament, you know, the Greens are ready to work with anybody, they say, and they're going to want to have you know, some different stuff on on order. That's how they think they're going to get stuff done. Right now, I want to focus particularly, David, on the Alberta connection here. And in particular, we know we're going conservative here. It's it's almost a foregone conclusion. So the question becomes for Jason Kenney and others is, as you laid out, do you allow the left to kind of battle it out on their own? Or do you go out with that message of, hey, we are the place to go and try to scale some of those votes back your way? I think politicians, particularly conservative-minded politicians, including Premier Kenny, uh, is going to have to start having a conversation. And I, and I got a sense that Kenny was doing this on election night yeah. in his speech. That you know, climate change is not a left or right issue. Uh, climate change. The conservative-minded parties acknowledge climate change. Doug Ford here in Ontario. We've just been dealing with all these floods, and he goes. Of course it's climate change that's causing these once-in-a-hundred-year floods every two years. The difference is the conservatives obviously have a different response to climate change than the liberal parties. And I think if conservative-minded uh, uh, governments, like Premier Kenny's, you know, have this conversation, which is kind of what Trudeau has been doing a little bit, which is we're going to fight climate change, we're going to develop our oil resources, our ethically pure oil resources, better than the Saudis, etc., um, but show some leadership. And if there's a conservative-minded party out there that can show that leadership and maybe prevent or ta also take uh, voters that are unhappy with the Liberals and New Democrats, I think that would be very interesting as well. Andrew Scheer's got a chance. Remember, Andrew Scheer, the federal leader, has not spelled out his climate change policy. He's been promising to do so, and I suspect we'll see it uh, you know, within a matter of weeks. You know, and if he shows he's serious about it and thinks that stuff can be done, uh, who knows what could happen? But I think I think it's we got to have an acknowledgement that climate change is not a left or right issue. It's really affecting a whole lot of people. Mm -hmm. And even beyond that is in the, the conversation, especially here in Alberta during the provincial election, was economy and are we better off? And can we sway that uh, Ontario-Quebec vote over to a conservative vote or at the very least get a little bit more of a voice uh, out that way? And, and certainly it sounds as though uh, between Jason Kenney and uh, Premier Ford in Ontario, Ontario, there at least are some allies to be had. Yeah, and, and you know what? Don't rule out Francois Legault, the mm -hmm. Premier of Quebec. Now, on some issues such as carbon taxes, Premier Premier Kenny and Premier Ford do not see eye to eye with Legault. But Legault uh, will see eye to eye with Kenny on some things. Uh, for one thing, uh, you know, stay out of provincial jurisdiction. That's a perennial uh, sort of Quebec hobby horse. And we know that yep. Kenny has been arguing that um, the issue of carbon taxes is uh, wading into a provincial jurisdiction. We'll see where that goes. But, you know, Kenny is a smart politician, and uh, he is going to look absolutely for allies around the Council of Federation that could counter a federal government not doing things he wants to do. And I think Legault will be uh, a key part. I do note that when Kenny, well, Kenny's election night speech in Calgary and when he came here to Ottawa the other day, 
you know, he's speaking French. I mean, Kenny speaks mm-hmm. great French. So he is going to want to speak to French Canada uh, to try to remind them that Alberta is real good for Quebec. Alberta oil can be used in Quebec. And, of course, Alberta dollars are often what funds the equalization payments that go to Quebec. A lot of fun to be had, certainly on the political front. David, appreciate the time as always. Thanks so much. Hey, no problem. Great. Begs an interesting question in terms of where the battlegrounds are. We talked about that during the provincial election, knowing full well Calgary was going to be a battleground. So where are the battlegrounds? We know sort of how Western Canada is going to vote in terms of, I use Western, should almost call it central between Alberta and Manitoba. We kind of know now it's going to be left. It just depends on where in BC they're going to uh, plant their vote. Where are the key battlegrounds going to be? Really interesting to watch uh, as the election campaign begins. I mean, it's already began. Same kind of thing as what I said three months before the provincial election. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. The summer festival season is fast approaching, and with it comes food truck season. Fat kid problems, all right. Uh, City of Calgary with Alberta Health Services uh, doing a food truck inspection blitz starting today over the next couple of days, making sure that the food trucks are doing everything uh, above board, operating, making sure that they're uh, passing all their tests, that kind of thing. One of the food trucks who was first on the line were the fine folks over at Avatera Pizza and uh, owner Christian Eterbe joins us now on the program to talk about uh, what's to come here. Christian, thanks so much for the time today. Well, thank you for uh, letting me uh, into your studio time, guys. How are preparations going as you head into that busy time of the year for your food truck? Well, everything. uh, Today we actually had our our annual inspection with the city of Calgary. And, uh, you know, within 45 minutes we had uh, all of the inspectors, the respective inspectors come to the truck and uh, give us a stamp of approval. So, so far, so good. That's fantastic to hear. What kinds of things are on the menu, so to speak, when it comes to uh, preparing and getting ready for, for yet another uh, year of doing business out on, on the street side? Well, we have to make sure that operationally the truck is ready to go. You know, we need to be uh, compliant with uh, Alberta Health Services, for example. So our, sanit- our, our san- sanitizer solution, our uh, water tanks, our uh, water samples, that have to go to the provincial lab to make sure that we're uh, in compliance with that um, that's that's top of mind when it comes to inspections. Uh, our fire extinguishers, um, all of these things have to be in place uh, and valid to make sure that we can operate the truck safely. It's been amazing to see the the generation of the food truck business and and how things have really developed over the years. And from one of the pioneers, I suppose, here in this city, talk a little about the industry as a whole and how things have been over the last few years here in Calgary. Oh, the, the growth has certainly been exponential in terms of food trucks. I mean, you know, you can just think a few years back, we didn't have food trucks in the city. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been great to be part of that explosive growth and, and to see how the business has changed so abruptly in the last few years. You know, as, as food trucks have become more popular, more and more people are requesting our services for private events, for functions, for, you know, weddings. Um, and then we do the annual uh, the Calgary Stampede, for example, will be there for 10 days, the Calgary Folk Festival. But yeah, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the interest in people, you know, Calgary's become a little bit of a, a, food, a foodie scene. Mm-hmm. And when we're happy to see that, we welcome that. 
That's got to be a fun part of it is that when you first came into business, you were thinking, okay, we're going to have a truck. We're going to set up on the side of the street and, and hope that people come. And at the same time, here you are talking about weddings and private functions. Did you ever think that that was going to be a part of your mantra when you first turned the engine on to the new food truck? Not at all. I mean, that's that's something that just, you know, it, it, it's, it's becoming part of the business, but the business has evolved so quickly that, uh, uh, you know, we've learned a, a great deal about uh, how to market our business and, and, and make sure that, you know, uh, um, uh, we're doing all the, you know, checking all the... Uh, all of the right things to make sure that we're successful in the, in the business. And because there's also a lot of competition. Don't forget there's 80 plus trucks in the city now mm-hmm. and uh, we're just another truck, right? So we have to stand out. We have to make sure that the products that we have uh, on board are, uh, are appealing and are going with the trends that people are looking for, like gluten-free, vegan, vegetarian, that sort of thing. A lot of options to get to. We're going to continue this discussion in just a couple of seconds here. Christian Iturbe, Iturbe is the owner of Avatar Pizza here in Calgary as he's one of the food trucks who went through the inspection season, the inspection blitz today by the city of Calgary and AHS, among others. Thanks so much for listening to the Calgary Today podcast. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, and tune in. When you do, don't forget to write the show and leave a comment. Until next time, my friends.